Welcome to the uh, Moving Forward Podcast. This is your host, Corey Cottrell. And of course, we got my co-host and good buddy, Rio Verden here. Hey, guys. Um, and we're classing up the joint yet again for uh, a post-debate uh, session with uh, Seth from uh, the Dividend Report. Seth, what's up, man? It feels so good to be back in the wine cave. Oh, yeah, the wine cave. Yeah, usually, usually I'm a lot uh, more inebriated for these just because the debates have been either completely boring or, or uh, infuriating. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, so like post debate, but now post Iowa too. We got to, we got a lot to to unpack. Yeah. We we sure <laughs> do, but I, yeah, I'm not a I'm, show over. Yeah, I, I think that really kind of says how enthused all of us are about the current state of affairs. I mean, I don't know. Like Bloomberg's doing really good. So that's my first point. I wanted just to immediately dive into that. How much do these debates even matter? Because Bloomberg's yet to appear on stage for even one. And looking at the polling, it appears that that doesn't matter at all for him. Well, I mean, it matters about a quarter million dollars worth or billion. Sorry. Right. So like it, it, as, as long as you're uh, worth 60 billion and you don't mind spending one billion uh, to uh, to win an election, you can just buy it. Clearly, but you know, the Yang gang online has been just so tense, especially during the debate. You know, they were expecting Yang to be putting his gloves off, really diving in, blowing up the debate stage, and then seeing some kind of a post debate surge. But my entire thing is like, it doesn't even matter. It doesn't really even matter. The debates don't have any significant effect on polling. I actually agree with Seth. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty clear that in this wide field, they don't have much of an impact because like you said, somebody who's not even in the debates is doing well. Um, you know, Yang actually did fine in Iowa. He outpolled his, or he outperformed his polls in the first round of votes. Um, you know, the media is reporting the second round of votes, which doesn't actually reflect the number of people who actually voted for Andrew Yang. That reflects the number of people who, the number of precincts that were able to actually, where he met 15%, right? Which, you know, when you're polling at 5% in a state, that's not going to happen. So, you know, I, we realistically, we all kind of knew he wasn't going to get any delegates. <clears throat> um, it, I, I think it's good that the front runners are pretty evenly divided. Um, yep. In the end, it was something like, what, 14 delegates for Judge, 12 12 for Sanders, eight for Warren, six for Biden, one for Klobuchar. I mean, nobody really came out on top. I, I Buttigieg won the state, I guess, but it's not, you know, with, with a bunch of states that are going to be divvied up that way in a wide field, that's not terrible for an insurgent candidate like Andrew Yang. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. That Like that, in fact, is the only, it's the only reason why he's got a viable path at all. Right. Like if if the top four keeps splitting it, you know, 15 to 20 percent, then if we can get to 15 percent, suddenly we're in the top four. Right. Um, and then, you know, the, the the media narrative might start to uh, to shift a little bit and then we have a shot. Uh, right. So and I mean, the more uh, they split it up, there, the better. Yeah. There's a few polls here and there where Yang has actually pulled ahead of Buttigieg nationally. So the guy who won the first state, Yang has been ahead of nationally in some major polls. Yep. That's also not a minor thing. Um, did you guys see the rumors, though, that he his campaign started laying off staff? I tend not to lend a lot of credence to that, but... Yeah, I saw rumors that Trump was going to drop out and endorse Andrew <laughs> Yang, too. 
that's true. And all of the all of the uh, sources were anonymous for that. I was like, hey. yeah, no, it's clearly it was clearly bullshit, and which is why I loved it. it was just okay. like putting putting rumors where we need to put it. I mean, that's until the there's thing, actual like, evidence, we are the math people after all. Until there's actual evidence, yeah. Yeah. Yang Yang laid off a bunch of people after Iowa because you know he needs better people, right? Like they they were people yeah. that were were really really heavy on excitement and really really weak on organizing a ground game, yeah. Because um, they're they're you know there's there's data on that and I'm sure they they had data on how the ground game was going and when you're competing with a Bernie Sanders ground game and an Elizabeth Warren ground game you need to be the best in the world and they just weren't. Right. There's a lot of there's a lot of energy that wants to get poured into, but unless it gets organized properly, then you you're not targeting properly, you're not tracking properly, and you just right. you won't win. Right. Yeah. And the, the piece that I saw was saying that it was so mismanaged and he doesn't care about his workers. And I'm thinking, like, I'm pretty sure I've read this exact same hit piece about all of the other candidates. Yeah. And they have political experience, right? The Bernie Sanders workers are always super angry at him, according to every other anonymous article. <laughs> you know, I mean, whatever. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, it seems pretty part of the course that even a campaign that would do moderately well in the caucuses are going to be laying off staff afterwards. This is, you know, just something that happens. And my entire point that I continue to try and rail back on is that every single person who's doing any kind of work for Andrew Yang and, and canvassing and everything, they are a unpaid intern right now, but they're technically going to be paid should he win the election. Uh, that's not a very helpful thing to say in the midst of those headlines, but I still think that the energy with Yang supporters are still there because that still remains true. Yeah. Yeah. Seems that way. seems that way to me. I mean, I think like, so as far as the debate, are we just like dismissing it as a thing? Like, Oh, Hey, was no, a we should talk about it. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I we we did some uh, some post debate analysis. Seth, thank you for coming on to that. I was like was like three or four drink Amy at that point. Um, Greg is nodding. <laughs> it's, it's uh, I was I was heavy on the exuberance and light on the good analysis. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I didn't get the impression that really much happened except I personally wanted Yang to come out with guns blazing, and instead he came out like Yang, which you know is a thing. Except for the one part that that I think the democratic party needs to face is they had a giant talk about race and never once asked the Asian American what he thought about it. And everybody else was super white. Yeah. So yeah, that wasn't a good look. So let's go ahead and talk about that real quick. Cause I, I don't know. I almost got in trouble uh, speaking about this because I, I am a privileged man of, of uh, Caucasian color, white. Wait, and you're white. I am. Yes. Uh, although I don't even, I don't even know. I have more Cherokee in my blood than uh, Elizabeth Warren, so I can I have that going for me. But I, I I like I mentioned something on Twitter, and you guys let me know if you want to have, like to have this discussion or not because uh, you know <laughs> I I don't really know how this works online. I know Rogan got his own kind of pushback when he says something about this and something about that, but I I tried to like make a point where Steyer at the point that he brought up race in the debate that you were talking about, Yang was raising his hand like for five minutes at that point. And Steyer's like, we haven't had one discussion about race during this entire moment. And like the one candidate of color is over there completely getting excluded by the moderators. I thought that was pretty interesting, but 
when Yang mentioned, like, this is how we help black communities, uh, black net worth is, you know, going to be below zero by 2050. You've got to put yep. cash directly into the hands of people. Steyer, like, took the mic after him and said, I actually disagree with Yang on this point. Uh, and that he, he brought up reparations. And from what I recall, like, reparations hadn't even been mentioned before Steyer yeah, said that. Right, but out of the blue. Right. So he, he dug up like reparations. He accused Yang of like trying to say that he wasn't for reparations, which Yang said in his Breakfast Club interview that he was, in fact, like, you know, he he sees universal basic income as having more utility. And and this was the tweet that I made. And it started getting a little bit of like attention that I was like, oh, no, I don't I hope this doesn't take off. But I said, what is more important for these communities? Like a one time check of what are we saying? Twenty thousand dollars. Is that a is that a reparation check? Or thirty thousand, let's say fifty thousand, a one-time check of fifty thousand dollars, or continual cash flow to every single member in that community, uh, unconditional every month, one thousand dollars, like cash flow. Which you know, sure, it'll take a couple of years to get to the amount of that one fifty thousand dollar check, but this has so much more utility that as yeah. a like as an avenue for reparations, this seems to be the thing to focus more on. And then I started, and then people were saying, well, this is two separate issues, right? Reparations is for social justice. It's for repairing the wrongs of how society has treated this marginalized group for decades and universal basic income for economic justice. And, and like my entire point is I, I find that the two are really the same thing. Uh, I, I believe that Martin Luther King Jr.'s, is it his son who has been like favorable of Yang, I believe? He made a tweet and he said something like my father said, having a place at the diner, uh, you know, in an unsegregated manner is so important. But what's the point if you can't purchase a meal? Uh, that's kind of the, the overarching point that I was trying to make in my tweet. But I can't really talk about these things because I'm a white individual. Right. Well, no, you, you, you can. And I think it's it's on us to be it's on us to be sensitive for it and understand that that, you know, we're we're, we're given a lot of uh, latitude and privilege or whatever. All that stuff is real. Opinions are going to happen. Okay, because he was fighting for for UBI, not for reparations, and I think that's an important point. Um, because looking at how you know poor white people and poor black people get pitted against each other was something that that was on his mind a lot, and mm -hmm. rightfully so, right? So we could spend the next ten or fifteen years trying to get reparations passed, or under a Yang presidency, considering how ridiculously bipartisan. Uh, traction is for UBI as it starts to come back up. I think UBI would get passed maybe ten times faster than reparations. So you know, if, if you're if you're an African American community, you know, do you want a pie in the sky policy that maybe is going to give you economic and social justice where other people aren't going to get it, or do you want it where every poor person is going to get it? Right. Right. And on the like the point of being pie in the sky, part of that is in the framing of what your reparations are. And and the unfortunate thing is that like we can understand that reparations aren't like a punishment for other people to atone for the sins of the past. Instead, it is a recognition that this wealth had been taken forcefully. Uh, but it's not like it's not a zero sum game, right? It's not these people doing worse so these people can do better. But yeah. while we can understand that, you have to think of the framing that the opposition is going to have to reparations. And there are 66 million white people in poverty right now, which is less of a percentage of the whole when it comes to minority communities, but more numerically uh, as a total. 
than the other communities. So like you've got 66 million people who are white and, and impoverished, all of them would be looking at reparations saying, well, why why are they getting this? Is it is it making me even worse off than I already am? You have to think about how pie in the sky means that this is going to be unfortunately i think divisive as well as like well well we also used asian american labor to basically build our entire railroad system so so are reparations only going to one community uh this is going to cause a whole bunch of uh, (laughs) whereas ubi the uh the bernie sanders supporters they'll tell you that you know the capitalist class has been exploiting the proletariat forever you know what do they get for that? Yeah. <laughs> I personally, I reject. I don't. I don't They're actually right. see. I don't actually see UBI as economic justice or anything like that. I see it as actually a more fair um, way to reform our social safety net and as tax relief for the middle class. I think that it'll be more effective than the, any of the programs we have now to end working poverty. It'll be more effective than any of the programs we have now to end homelessness. It'll grow the middle class because it will actually basically subsidize the incomes of people in the working class and and make it easier for them to invest and build wealth. And because it'll give de facto tax relief to people who are in danger of being taxed out of the middle class right now. That's why I support it. It's nothing to do with anything like economic justice. I don't believe in, you know, like the, I don't believe that it's the government's job to ensure that everybody has you know, all of their basic needs met necessarily. I just think that we already have a system in place that's meant to do that. It's not working. It's actually shrinking the middle class. It's actually trapping people in poverty and it's not doing anything about homelessness. So if we're going to try to fix the problem, let's make it better and actually solve the problem. All this money that our tax money, all this, all our tax money is going toward these things and they're not working. So let's try something else. I agree with that. And I think the utility of shattering this scarcity mindset would unify people of all socioeconomic backgrounds and actually help if we are really wanting to like acknowledge and try to repair some of the damage of the past it's got to come from a place where we have already kind of rejected scarcity and accepted the possibility of abundance and i i think that's a unifying place to start making those kinds of decisions yeah, and I think what you said about scarcity is key because it's about getting past the zero-sum view of economics, right. which the far left and the alt-right have in common right now. They both clearly are, think that they're trapped in this war where there's limited resources and, oh, they want to take it away from white people and give it to black people or, well, black people never had their fair shake. And so it's it's all of, I mean, it's this identity politics, cold war that's tearing our country apart and there's really only one candidate running who has the ability to take all of that populist rage from both sides and channel it in a healthy, positive direction that makes everybody's lives better. Yeah. Um, that's why I personally think that conservatives and moderates in the establishment would be stupid not to join you know, progressives and populists in supporting Andrew Yang's candidacy, because it's in their interest to do so. I mean, it is. It, 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 are, are people who are like me who are concerned about conserving what's good about our society, are we going to be happy if Bernie Sanders gets nominated and you've got two populists stoking up a bunch of rage on both sides? And I mean, our Cold War could, could turn into a real civil war. I mean, you, you don't know what's going to happen. We are living in history. You can't take things for granted. Um, and so, yeah, we need to do something 
to appease all of this populist rage. And, you know, Joe Biden and Pete Buttigieg, as much as I like those guys, they're not going to do it. Bernie Sanders is probably just going to make things worse. Trump is definitely going to make things worse. Um, so, yeah, I'm a little frustrated if you're noticing it. I, I can't I, I'm really annoyed at the people of Iowa for not being smarter. Sorry. <laughs> there is definitely a disappointment in how people of Iowa turned out. But at the same time, there were some structural issues in play during the caucuses that may or may not add up to enough to say, well, it wasn't just the people uh, that that failed in Iowa. It was a failure of the caucus system in general. And hopefully... Uh, I mean, I don't know if they failed. They just have different opinions for me. I just think they're wrong. (laughs) Yeah. No, we both agree there. Seeing Klobuchar perform in the way she did was just a slap in the face to me personally. Um, And it looks like, I don't know, I just saw something on a subreddit, which this is just uh, based upon very, very few uh numbers in new hampshire right now yeah, but klobuchar honestly seth you don't uh-huh. even want to mention it you don't even right. want to mention it it's uh, less than 50 votes yeah but but still klobuchar yeah, but nothing <laughs> okay. it literally is meaningless all it right it doesn't mean i've seen that i've seen i've seen those uh, uh numbers up from this morning it's like literally 30 people like you could literally go to a diner and find completely and totally opposite results anywhere in New Hampshire. It doesn't mean anything yet. But they, even they shouldn't have even reported that. That's they should. They, I mean, it, it, people are going to do that, right? Yeah. But we yeah. like it, it. It showed a complete lack of understanding of how these things work. That Yang, the Yang gang, not everyone, obviously, but enough of them completely and totally glommed onto that to think that it was interesting. It is in no way interesting, right? Like right now, Bernie Sanders is winning New Hampshire by 25 to 30% in the polls. He's going to land around 25 to 30%. That's just a fact, right? Like that, you know, the, the best I think that we can hope for is that I think Yang was pulling in around 7%. Like I think there's a non-zero probability he could get over 10%. I'm just looking for a really, really strong outperformance of polls. They're not going to be able to ignore him like they did in Iowa. <clears throat> and honestly, I think he outperformed the polls even, even more in Iowa than got reported because – so many of the, uh, the the precincts actually counted them as zero initially, which is ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chet included, mm-hmm. right? Right. So, so yeah. we'll see. Yeah, I mean that like a- Amy Amy Klobuchar like g- gaining steam. I mean, clearly she's the sort of establishment Democrat darling at the moment. It doesn't mean anything, right? Nationally, she is still polling less than Andrew Yang most of the time. Right. So it's, it's just that they, they glommed on to uh, Biden for a long time. And I don't know if you guys were listening the 5,000 times that I told people this. I told everyone Biden wasn't going to be a thing and he's not. Um, and honestly, Amy Klobuchar is, isn't going to be on the last either. And I'm not as sure of that one because re- Greg actually just gave me the side eye. I'm not as sure as that one because she's actually you know got real legislative chops. But she's about as charismatic as a doorstop. It's just the folksy thing might work in the Midwest, but it's not going to work anywhere else. Hmm. So I don't know. We'll we'll see. And besides, so, Bloomberg's just going to sweep in and buy the fucking thing anyway. So who yeah. gets a shit? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, the Midwest thing gives her an advantage in the general election, but not necessarily so much in a primary. That's true. Right. Right. Um. So one moment in the debate that I thought Yang did awesomely, and I'm sure you guys probably agree, was when I don't think he was even called on. Um. Pete was talking about Trump and how bad Trump is. And then Yang came in and said, Trump isn't really the cause of our problems. He's a symptom of our problems. And we have a chance to actually solve some problems and not just beat Trump. Yes, we have to beat Trump. More importantly, we need ideas, you know, 21st century ideas that are actually going to solve our problems. I thought that was great. He was differentiating himself from the person who was the front runner coming out of the first state. 
maybe not even called on? Did you guys notice? Was he called on or did he just interject? Yeah, I think that was one of the times that he jumped in. It was really, really good that he that he did yeah. so. He actually brought up that that same kind of line, you know, that big New Hampshire dinner where all the candidates uh, spoke. Um, and there, you could you can find it on YouTube. It, I think it was about nine and a half minutes of like distilled Yang awesomeness, um, and he by far got the most applause from everybody else's camp. And and it was with more or less that line and kind of all the stuff that we that we know about condensed into a, a shorter thing. But that's the thing. Like he could lead the entire Democratic Party. Like that, mm-hmm. that listening to listening to him in a room of ten thousand people, like completely totally freak out and be like, "Yep, that guy's awesome." Um, it's just a matter of kicking out about four senators, and then we should be good to go. Yeah, I think the one area where him staying in the in the debates really is relevant <clears throat> isn't necessarily because watching the debates changes people's minds. I think it's because it's a sign that he's a real candidate, right? Yep. Um, yep. I mean, Bloomberg, I think that would hurt him if he didn't have a billion dollars to spend, you know? Oh, he would be no, he would be nowhere. And if, he has if, a really he has a really compelling line for why he's not in the debates, right? It's because I'm not taking money from anybody. <laughs> so, of course, he doesn't need it, but I mean, okay, I get it. They, they made one of the requirements donations, and he's not even trying to get donations, probably because he knows he couldn't get them, because who's going to send a billionaire a bunch of money? Although people are sending Steyer money, so I don't know. And if you were to show up on the debates, it would be like everyone against Bloomberg, like everyone like saying, look at this guy, oh, look yeah. at what he's doing. Yeah. Um, I agree that uh, Yang really had a powerful punch when he when he brought up the fact that uh, he's not the cause of all of our problems. He's the symptoms. There were a whole bunch of headlines afterwards where it was like Yang says this. And it's so a little weird to me, like, Corey, we talked about this in our own like post debate discussion. But like, it's weird that this moment gets picked up so much. When he's essentially saying, like, let's talk about the real things. Let's talk about why Mm. Trump got elected in the first place. But those things, when you, like, delve into it, are the exact same things that seem to, like, just bounce off the wall when it comes to scarcity mindset. Uh, How are people living? Why do people vote for Trump? And how a universal basic income would really help with that. The freedom dividend. This is the core part of my campaign. As soon as you actually bring up those terms and he starts to talk about that a little more concretely, that's when he gets like all of this uh, criticism about the only thing he talks about is a universal basic income. I can't believe it. Um, So it's a little bewildering to me that everyone seems to agree that Yang says does a good job when he says that. But if he goes any further than that, it all just bounces off of him, in my opinion. It's weird. So, yeah, I'm not sure that it bounces off because the number of people that are on board for UBI is going up like 5% a week or some stupid thing. I mean, mm-hmm. that, I made that number up. You get the idea, right? Like that we're, that I, and I've said this before, but the, the idea that we're talking about UBI and it's like well-established in the Olerton window now is already insane, right? Like mm-hmm. that, that is un, an unspeakably big idea. Uh, and big deal that that's actually around now. So what we're seeing is basically the first little like, you know, first they ignore you part of the the campaign. And honestly, what we haven't seen yet is any real pushback, which mm. will come, right? Yeah. Like they're, they're like the, the entire business community telling them that they're going to be stuck with a 10% fat. They haven't even caught on that this is a real thing yet. Yeah. And when it, when it does, you think union you think union busters are bad they're gonna fucking lose their minds right yeah. now some of the tech companies that can actually swallow that and not worry about it it's you know they're, they're not going to care at all everything's going to be you know entirely totally fine from them which is kind of what we're hearing already they can they can swallow that easily but that's the thing like it, it's still it's still having to get through to people that are not used to like new ideas anyway 
And now you're going to tell them we're just going to give $1,000 a month to everybody. And it's actually going to be a panacea because it kind of is, right? It's that one shot that you can take that will do more for homelessness than anything else, that will do more for the working poor than anyone else, that will basically be reparations by another name uh, and, and be economic and social justice in, the, in, in that way, even though it's not comparative. It's still $1,000 a month to communities that really, really deserve it, right? Millions and millions and millions. So I think people just need to get used to the idea that, that, that they're actually having to face it. Um, early on, Yang called his campaign the revolution of reason, or somebody else called it that, I guess, and then he claimed it. Um, that's the problem. People aren't very reasonable. The average person is not voting based on a rational analysis of comparing and contrasting the policies of all the candidates, right? They vote for somebody they like. They vote for somebody who they think has experience. They vote for somebody who is a loyal Democrat in the case of a lot of partisans. Um, <clears throat> that's that's the real challenge for Yang. I think that if he had a chance, or if he has a chance to run again in 2024, that he'll start out with more name, name recognition. People will already associate him with being part of the Democratic Party. He very likely will have been in an administration of a Democratic president unless Trump gets reelected. Um, so that would put him in a different situation, right? He now has more experience in government. He's more clearly associated with the party, has more name recognition. Right now, I, I think that we in the Yang gang maybe have made a little bit of a mistake by overemphasizing policy and by overemphasizing the freedom dividend in particular. Because I, I agree with you, Corey, that if there was a policy that is going to do more than any other single policy, that would be it, right? Um, but he has like 200 policies. And so I'm a little worried that the people who are phone banking and the people who are canvassing are reinforcing people's misconception mm -hmm. that Yang is just the freedom dividend guy. Um, so, <laughs> I mean, first of all, if you're phone banking and canvassing, thank you for doing that. Keep doing that. I am definitely not like going to say anything bad about anybody's phone banking and canvassing. But if you want to get really good at it and be really effective at changing people's minds, take the time to learn about a few more policies, right? Um, and, you know, Corey and I read basically all of his policies out loud, word, word for word, the entire thing through in our podcast. So if you don't have time to read them, you know, put your headphones on while you're running or, you know, driving or whatever, and we'll read them to you. But yeah, Yang has a lot of policies. And even if he didn't have the freedom dividend, he would still be the best candidate with the best ideas. He has a lot of really good policies. He, he, he convinced Bernie Sanders to adopt the democracy dollars thing, which is a good, good idea of, of his that I'm glad is, is uh, you know, spreading around. He's got a lot of good ideas. He's not just the UBI guy. And I, I completely agree with what you're saying. And this was really, this sh was shown in the debates a lot of times. And I, I noticed Steyer did this a lot. They would go through, they would spend an entire 15 minutes talking about foreign policy. And Steyer would like butt in and say, listen, we are all kind of on the same page. Our differences are minute compared to how alike we are. The most important thing is how do we beat Donald Trump? I think like he comes back to electability, 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 electability which is uh, the most important thing for the voters. You're right about how they don't really vote based on reason. And that kills me. I mean, some of some of them do. Probably the ones who listen to your show and our show do. But we, we if so it's, it's for those of us who are reasonable, we have to really remind ourselves we're not the average person. <laughs> and politics is about winning. It's not about being right. Yeah, at the end of the day, like Steyer did really well in the debate, and that that's exactly why. Like, if you if you pull, and again, if you haven't listened to the Wilderness yet, go do it. Right, like they they unpack 
um, and they do focus groups and they they really drill down into the kind of voters that we need to get to win, right? And honestly, like beating Trump is the number one thing on Democrats' minds and we're in the Democratic Party, right? Like I get that we're in the vanguard and we're attempting to create an ascended wing of the Democratic Party, but we still need them to do anything. And that's always gonna be true because the Republican Party is a joke. And if you try and run independent, anything north of a congressman, you're going to lose, right? So like we, we have to be within that. So understanding the electability argument, I think is going to be critical for, for Yang. We'll probably forward. lose in Congress too, for that matter. Yeah, no, it's like, I, I wanted to, I wanted to throw Congress a bone. Right? Honestly, mean, like, what, they've got like one or two independents, something it's, like that. It's yeah. It's, it's real, real small. <laughs> yeah. And from, and from tiny markets. Yeah. So within the first first thirty minutes, I, I thought it was pretty interesting that the moderators clearly set up a a uh, a battle between Bernie Sanders and Pete Buttigieg performed very well in Iowa, and it was a little disingenuous to me seeing how they clearly were attacking Bernie's self described uh, profession that he is a socialist, and they were like, "Please tell us why you think that uh, you know to other candidates why you think socialism is bad." <laughs> uh, whereas on the flip side, you would never have a candidate say, Bernie, please tell us why you think moderate or centrism is going to wind up uh, ending up very badly. Like they they were all so clearly just hopping on the bandwagon against Bernie Sanders. I think Sanders held up very well in the face of those attacks, but it was frustrating to see. I was happy to see it. Well, like, it's I mean, weird yeah. because, I mean, I don't, like, oh. Sanders really isn't even a socialist. I mean, he is, he talks about how he is a socialist, and I think that that's dangerous because of the type of crowd that foments around his campaign. Oh, no, I've I've opened a can of words here, worms here, but... No, uh, I, I agree with everything you just said. I just have had this conversation eight million times. Uh-huh, yeah, yeah. Uh, like, the fact that it's just, it's it's like furthering the misunderstanding of what socialism is and that entire thing of, like, no, this is what we're actually trying to do. Like, Sanders was very good when he was bringing it all back to, like, we can't make progress unless we deal with this issue. And if you look at Trump, he's dealing with the issues all wrong, but everyone else is just kind of staying on the, the, the tide of just terms that's the problem that i have there though because i don't think that's true i think that in 2015 he did he shocked the establishment like trump shocked the establishment and the gop they were both hostile outsiders who did a takeover of a party that they weren't really members of and the establishment responded by officially putting a lot of Bernie Sanders's goals on their official party platform. And a lot of the other people running in this primary also support those policies. They might not support, support as hardcore a version of them as Bernie Sanders does, but you know, Corey and I have gone over this a, a lot. I mean, the polls just show that yes, a majority of Americans support Medicare for all as in making Medicare available as a public option in competition with private insurance as Medicare exists now. That's what Medicare is make that available to everybody and not just senior citizens. That is supported by something like 58%. It's a big majority, and that could actually pass Congress. But the number of Americans who support a single-payer system, which remains the minority in the developed world, most countries that have universal health care have a combination of public and private insurance. They make public insurance available to everybody, and they allow people who want private insurance to purchase it. I understand why Bernie Sanders doesn't like that policy, but the fact of the matter is only 13% of Americans support that policy. So, okay, I guess he's trying to outwoke and outleft himself now in order to stand out in a crowded field full of Democrats who support his 
his social democratic agenda, not democratic socialist agenda, because those are not the same things. Norway is not socialist. So, yeah, I mean, why then? Why? I, mm. does, he, does he actually want to move the needle forward, as we say, or is it all just about ego? Because right. That his version of that policy isn't going to pass right now. He's got kudos to him for persuading. He played a huge role along with AOC and other allies in persuading a majority of Americans to support Medicare for all. I think that's an amazing accomplishment of his. Why can't he just declare victory? Right. <laughs> you know? But he's still got a lot more work to do on persuading them to go all the way to single payer. And if he does that, great. President Yang will sign it. President Biden will sign it. Any Democratic president will sign that bill if he manages to pass Congress. The reason they're not running on that policy is because it's not popular. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I, I think I agree well, with that. OK, hold on. It would be popular if people understood it. Well, like, sure. And, and you, cool. I, I get it. And right. you know, I just do the same thing. Andrew Yang would be doing so much better if people were smarter. I hear you. But I also well, said no, that's, it's yeah. about winning, not being right. <laughs> oh, no, 100 percent. I, I completely agree there. And the the really sad thing for me, the tragic thing, frankly, and I've actually talked to Bernie supporters that that understood this and agree with me. You know, we were listening to how he was very honestly talking about it and comparing it to candidates, single payer. You know, your, your taxes are going to go up, but your you know uh, bankruptcies and your premiums are going to go to zero. Right. And he would repeat that over and over and over again. And people still hit him on the math. And, oh, my God, it's going to cost 40 trillion, which is like a Republican talking point that's completely disingenuous and idiotic because current spending is going to be 45 trillion. Right. And he like just should be completely and totally just sticking to his guns on training people that it's trade off. Right. The average cost is going to go down, yada, yada. But he stopped doing that. Right. He basically just said, no, 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 we'll figure out a way to pay for it. No big deal. Yada, yada. And basically just like, OK, my supporters are idiots. So we're just not going to, and potential supporters are idiots. So I'm just not going to bother anymore. And if you're not educating people on how the actual policy is going to come about, then you've basically just pissed on your own legacy because it's just, it's, it's, you're, you're not actually doing the work to convince people that it's a good idea, which is why the polling is reflecting it exactly the way that it's doing it now. Yeah. And it also could just be that America is not there yet. Right. Along with, again, most developed countries, you know, the, um, the NIH doesn't have, doesn't outlaw duplicative private insurance. You know, I get right. that. I understand that they do that in Canada and it works. And I think Bernie Sanders, it's popular there, right? Just like the NIH is popular. All of these universal healthcare programs are popular. There's more than one way to skin a cat. And I just I worry that Sanders is dividing the Democratic Party in a way that is going to cost us the election because he's pretending that these little academic differences, which will make no difference in reality and the reality of politics, or what it's all about, you know? I mean, we lost we lost our, our own um, bear cave guy. I'd love to get AJ back, you know? I feel like I was really fair to him. I told me, he, he he's like, Rio, you're the only conservative that I respect because you're really honest. And I was like, cool, you know, like I can talk to this guy. But we lost him to the Bernie Sanders group and now he's not doing bear cave anymore. And it's because he's been persuaded by Bernie Sanders that it's single payer or bust. Well, no, it damn yeah. well isn't. Yeah, yeah, it's not. Again, as a proponent for, you know, Canadian single payer, which I totally am, I'm not dumb enough to also not know that the seven other countries with the next best healthcare uh, systems have uh, 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 combinations that aren't necessarily exactly like that, right? There, yeah, there and they're still really that popular this, and that still right? make sure everybody gets the healthcare they need. Right. Yeah. And, and also like still three, like overall three times uh, uh, less cost for the, for the government. It's still mostly government run or whatever, but it allows for that, that kind of wiggle room. And there's no reason why we wouldn't do it. My worry is that people don't trust the situation like that Rio, because 
you know, lobbyists will come in and try and murder anything. So if you give them any room, if you give like, you know, any combination where a private company can come and erode the system, they'll yeah. come and do it, right? Which is where I, know, I agree with that, but I think the solution to that is democracy dollars, right? right? Which, yeah, which exactly both of those candidates support, so that's good, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah. By the way, I think that I think that Sanders did extremely well. I actually, this, this is kind of strange to say out loud, but I think this was the best debate for the party in a way because I I think that everybody did very well. I think that people went after Sanders hardcore, like you said, and he did a good job defending himself. He, he, he did fall back into the, you know, stump speech every now and then, but people like his stump speech. And, but he, he was good at deflecting attacks as somebody who is not a Sanders supporter. I have to admit he deflected those attacks well. And I think that it strengthened his position. Um, I think Pete did a really good job too. He was a front runner coming out of Iowa. So a lot of people were attacking him and he also did a really good job deflecting the attacks uh, Corey, you're right. I think Steyer did a good job reminding everybody that it's about beating Trump and and that, that we all have more in common than we don't, which is something, of course, Andrew Yang would agree with. That yep. said, his ideas are head and shoulders above the others. They are definitely not all the same, right? No, and I, 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 I'm increasingly of the opinion that I think, especially after the DNC um, moved left and embraced Sanders' policies, which Yang also supports, he supports Medicare for all. Um, after that happened, I think that Yang is now the real outsider. I think that I think that Sanders looks like an establishment insider in comparison. I mean, he has he has a mainstream media that treats him like a real candidate, gives him the coverage that he deserves. I'm sure the supporters of every candidate think that their guy deserves more coverage than they get, but he's getting a lot, right? And yeah. and and he has the benefit of of a Democratic Party whose platform reflects his policies. Yang is is not being taken seriously by the media and his ideas are more heterodox in the Demo in the democratic party of today than Sanders's policies are in the democratic party of today. So he really has an uphill battle there. Is it true that they turned off his mic? They say that after every debate, does anybody have any facts about that? So the part uh, that you brought up when he responded to Pete, he interjected, there was a moment that you could hear him through Pete's mic before he actually spoke. I, I actually don't hmm. think that this was them turning it on once they realized the mistake. I think that was more of a... Uh, like he was, uh, he had a noise gate or, you know, each candidate couldn't speak above each other. The, the levels were just altered. To me, yeah, there's no way to prove it. I think that it could have just been audio engineering, you know, things. It, it wouldn't, it's not a good look to try and accuse them of doing that. That reminds me, I think there's something that we really need to talk about. And Corey and I haven't had a chance to talk about this yet. It relates to the debate. Um, but you know, there, there, there was that poll that showed, uh, was it an Emerson poll? I forget who the polling house was because you guys can remind me, but it showed, it basically broke down the supporters of all the candidates and it said how, what percentage of their supporters would vote for the candidate, would vote for the nominee if it wasn't their guy. Right. And we can say, well, no, <laughs> if it wasn't their guy or gal. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and the, you know, Yang, 50% of them said they wouldn't. Right. Which doesn't surprise me, doesn't surprise you guys, because you're part of the Yang gang. But I mean, he's he's bringing in a lot of independents. He's bringing in a lot of Republicans. Sanders um, also looked like a lot of his people weren't going to vote, but not as many as Yang. Yeah. And 
so I guess what I want to talk about, and I'd like to hear what you guys think about this, but it seems to me that two things could be true at the same time. One could be that the, the partisan Democrats have a right to be upset about that, but that they need to get over it and endorse Yang anyway. That would be my position. Um, because I think, I think that they're right to be upset about it because, you know, I mean, it certainly doesn't look like he's a team player in that respect, right? But when you get past that initial gut reaction, which I think is justified emotionally in a lot of ways, especially when they would be running against somebody as awful as Trump. So I want to say, like, I think that they're right to be upset about that. And I constantly tell my fellow Yang gangers, like, just, you know, none of this Yang or bus nonsense, right? I think that's stupid. Don't do that. So I share that frustration. But at the same time, the fact that he has so many supporters who aren't going to vote if he's the nominee is actually the reason why he needs to be the nominee. 100%. And the, you know, I mean, he, he, like I said earlier, he's actually bringing in people who have this populist rage and he's redirecting it, channeling it in a way that brings people together instead of dividing Americans against one another. We don't need class hatred. We don't need war, like racial animosity being stoked up by people. We need somebody who's going to remind us that we have more in common with each other than our differences. And yep. it's going to put America back on track, back on track. But Boreal is your first. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, as a partisan Democrat and uh, making no apologies for it in any way, shape or form, um, you know, and surrounded by partisan Democrats, uh, that that reaction was was instantaneous. The like how, you know, in the hell are you trying to win a Democratic primary when half your people would like literally just go and run off? Um, and it's and it's I, th I think I think you're right to say that it's understandable. But a split second later, you have to think, okay, you know, there, there are basically two sides to this, uh, to this argument, right? If Andrew Yang were to win the, the, uh, the primary, literally every Democrat would be super excited to vote for him and then tack on ex-Trump supporters and independents, right? And yes, the opposite isn't true. There are people that wouldn't vote. There were people that would stay home. Bernie Sanders has some of those two or whatever. But the, the, the operant rule should always be thinking about two different things in an election. Uh, turnout, which as Democrats, you know, we're good at and getting better at all the time, and persuasion. And, you know, Yang is good at persuasion. He's good at building the tent such that the tent gets bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, and then we have actually more people to uh, to turn out. So, yeah, I, I, I saw that. I mean, Greg had that reaction. Um, yeah. But, I mean, I had a split second where I had that reaction, too. Right? Because, I mean, we're Democrats hanging out with Democrats. And how the fuck on God's green earth could you even consider not going out to vote or voting for Donald Trump. Like yeah, that makes you to me a fucking idiot. Like, you know, just, I mean, I had, I had that reaction too. I was like, Oh man, that's not good. Sorry. You know, <laughs> we're in an office. We're in, we're in Greg's office building. And apparently I'm not supposed to drop giant F bombs. <laughs> really loud ones. Okay. Like I got my big headphones on. You're so just, just gonna... screaming, screaming the F bomb in his office. Everything's, uh, everything's fine. Everything's You're also going to demonetize me again. So, <laughs> what? Uh, I said, take, Seth? so I actually had the opposite initial reaction. I loved seeing that number and I'm going to explain why. Um, but it's also something that bewilders me because what that said to me and from what the headlines I was reading at the time were saying is that Yang is like gallivizing all of these disenfranchised voters, people who don't typically turn out. But the issue is, is that those those people aren't being represented in landline polls anyway. So I like there's a split when I consider that that narrative, if mm -hmm. If that narrative were to be true, and I picked it up as like 
well, this this means something great is about to happen in Iowa. If if those kind of numbers, you're going to have a whole bunch of people who haven't been represented in the polls, except for this poll, I guess, show up in support for Andrew Yang. Because like, the vote blue, no matter who, is is all across the line, except for a little bit with, with Bernie. And then there's Yang. I'm I'm so curious as to where those numbers are coming from. If those people are the ones that we're seeing aren't being represented in the polls, right? Uh, if it's true though, and perhaps he did overperform in the first round of the Iowa caucuses, what you would expect to see if those numbers are true is that Yang will will really pull through in New Hampshire today by getting a whole bunch of unrepresented voters. Right. But, but if that, you run the math on it. Um the best that we can hope for on that is a hundred percent beat on the polls. Right. right. Just Cause that like, if you're, if you're polling 7% and half your people are independents and, and, and uh, ex Republicans that would not necessarily be polled, you know, if you're polling at seven, that means you can be polling at 15. Right. And that's if they all show up, which I don't know if you, if you knew this, but independents fucking suck at showing up, excuse my French. Again, I'm going to hell. Whew. Right, they're like, uh, but you know, swing voters, swing voters too. They have a they have a tendency to be uh, uh, super flakes, right? So, but again, I obviously Yang is is getting people passionate enough that I think that's really possible, which is why I get excited about it. But like people saying, "Oh my God, we're going to win New Hampshire, we're going to win New Hampshire," I want to tap that down because there's nothing in the polling that says that's possible. Nothing. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. I mean, part of the problem, of course, is like a national poll isn't necessarily going to make a difference in a state primary because we don't know where how that all breaks down um well my question is that 50 percent. who are they and i know that like <laughs> like Corey, you don't think you think it's the same if they're apathetic or if they're voting for trump but i think that there's there's something to be said about the apathy part because the majority of yeah. people in this country do not vote at all uh yeah. and and if you and this goes back to the fact that this would indicate that he is someone that everyone needs to galvanize behind immediately. Because if you are picking up those people who are generally apathetic, then yep. you're the one who wins. I agree. Yeah. I mean, that's, it is by far the biggest, biggest voting block. And he's absolutely creating enough interest that those people are getting back into politics and having a voice. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I think, I think the turnout, apathy, but, I think the apathetic people aren't getting picked up by even that poll. So mm-hmm. I don't think that, I don't think that, um, you know, people who don't vote at all don't tend to get polled. Um, so I don't think that that's a big chunk of the 50%. I think it's a reflection of the fact that he's getting swing voters and independents and Republicans. That's what I think it's a reflection of. Hmm. And probably swing the kinds of swing voters and independents and Republicans who have been registered Democrat in the past for whatever reason. That's probably why the polls picking them up. Um but here's the thing. Those are the votes you need to win an election. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. You know, yeah. like the, and Bernie Sanders made that made that argument in the 2015 primary. And I think he was right to because, you know, Clinton was running away with the, she had a big majority of, of partisan Democrats. But Sanders was the guy who was getting independence and even some Republicans, hmm. um, yep. and especially now that the GOP has gone alt right and it has these kind of left wingy positions on trade and foreign policy. Um, I mean, Sanders has more in common with Trump than he does with Clinton in, in some ways. So that's why he was getting the Republican votes. And, 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 and in Yang's case, um, he's attracting a lot of the same people because he's offering different solutions to some of the same problems that the populist left and the alt-right care about, right? Um, you know, instead of scapegoating foreign workers for automation, he's actually pointing out that automation is the problem. 
Um, so I don't want to say that he's like Sanders and Trump, but he is addressing the same problems in a better way. I agree. And I, I also brought this up at the uh, the last talk that me and Corey had was I think it it's going to be completely different answering that question of would you vote blue no matter who today than it will be actually when it comes time to vote in the the uh the general election because at that point we're going to have an entire half of a year of trump continually doing the same thing he's been doing for the past three years and people are really going to have to ask themselves do i want more of this uh and i i think we can rely on that reality but you can't base that in any kind of factual statement the problem is a lot of people take a lot of joy in it you know, especially if you are of a populist inclination where you think that the establishment is really crooked and every single member of the elite society is evil and all the regular politicians don't look out for you. And the mainstream media is phony, is fake news. You know, if, you, if, if, that, if that's your worldview, then seeing somebody piss all over our institutions might actually give you a bit of schadenfreude. <laughs> I find it hard to believe that the people that do have that worldview would even admit that they would be willing to cross the aisle in the first place. Like if they have enough self introspection to say, I would like a change. And I think that this is the change to go for. I, mm. I find it hard to believe that they would then like really look into themselves and say, uh man no i I can't bring it i'm actually going to go back to let's piss all over everything again considering the degree of how bad the pissing is like i thought the same thing in 2016 because i I refused to turn out for hillary i was like you know what i'm sick and tired of everything but in the three years since uh like i i didn't i could not imagine that it would have been this bad i just you know I, i regret it uh, I was I was imagining how bad it was going to be in real time, and Greg and I talk about it all the time. It's like significantly worse than the worst case scenario that we thought of, and I thought I was being unreasonable. And that so, all all of that doesn't include a seven two Supreme Court, Seth, for the rest of your life. Right, right. You got to consider that. So right? here's yeah, the that, thing: honestly, about- that's all you ne- anyone needs to consider. That's it. Like, forget literally everything else. That's why everyone has to vote against Trump. Period here's the thing about that 50%, right? I think that right now it's 50% because Yang's surge from as an outsider came from this grassroots momentum, which is pro, which, which by definition has to be more ideologically diverse than his ultimate coalition would be if he were the nominee, right? So what I mean by that is he's not going to be able to get as many... Trump voters and Republican voters as Democrat voters in the end, if he's actually the nominee, right? Most Republicans are going to go with Trump. We just know that, right? He's going to be able to persuade more to come over to the other side than anybody else. I think the math proves that's definitely true, right? But it's not going to be a huge percentage. It's going to be a consequential small percentage of Republican voters, right? And so I think that when he's when he's uh, polling at you know, 20, 30, 40%, um, in the primary, if he's still in the race, you know, and he's one of the last two people, the last three people or whatever, his coalition is not going to be 50% people who won't vote for the nominee anymore because it'll be made up of more regular Democrats. It's just that the, the, the base that got him this far has been more ideologically diverse than his yep. ultimate coalition would need to be. And I think that his biggest weakness as a candidate is that he's not getting partisan Democrats. I, I don't meet a lot of other, I meet a lot of like Trump voting um, Yang supporters, but I don't meet a lot of other never Trump conservative Yang supporters. I don't meet a lot of people who like me think that Hillary Clinton was 
perfectly acceptable to a conservative and Trump was not, right? I don't meet a lot of people like me in the Yang gang yet. And you guys, we need people like me in this in this campaign to win. We need people who actually like the establishment. We need people who think that our society is good and don't want to blow it up. We need those people in the Yang gang. And that that what that poll suggests is that he's not reaching those people yet. Well, I'll th- I'll, I'll, like while having you in the Yang gang is, is fancy and awesome. Um, what he really needs is more people like me and Greg. Like we're, you know, that that democratic activists on the ground is the oh, that game. too. Yeah. Well, I, 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 I think in the primary, think, in the general, yeah. you're yeah. totally right, right? I mean, that, well, and I, I, think, and I think that would happen. I think in the general, you need. But what I mean is, how do I put this? You and Greg are in the progressive wing of the Democratic Party. Yang's doing okay there, right? He's doing okay there. He's not getting a lot of conservative and moderate and centrist Democrats. He needs to be getting those people. Yeah. He's get he's getting the he's getting the populist bases of both parties. He's not getting the establishment elitist snobs. <laughs> he needs those people. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> true. Well, and and I think that that's where I think the the long-standing institutional memory and tribalism starts to come into play because it's, you know, you're just sort of unless you're sort of part of the team and have paid your dues, right? Yeah. Uh, unless your name is Pete Buttigieg, then then uh, they're not really going to let you in. Yeah, you're you're very right, and this is why the media's coverage of Yang is is really kind of detrimental. Uh, the, the fact that they haven't picked him up at all he's he's not being shown to the group of people who who need to see him the most. Yeah. I mean, he, he's been polling double Amy Klobuchar for six months, and Amy Klobuchar gets about twenty to thirty times more media coverage. Yeah. Yep. So you know. But she's like, if you were to, if you were, and again, if electability actually made sense, and I'm not at all sure that it does, right? Like whole the whole Midwestern path and all that kind of stuff. I think that's all made up now. Um, that might have been true in the freaking '90s, but I think that that has that has gone away to a large extent. But they'll basically make that math. <laughs> Greg just totally I gave me the stick again. <laughs> we probably should have had Greg on this too. I I, um, I don't know if I I I think I I might actually agree with Greg here. I think electability matters a lot, and I think it's a real thing. It's true. I think what you were getting at, Corey, is that it matters less because we are so it's such a partisan time that we live in. Trump is such a polarizing figure that people will tend to be voting Democrat or Republican, no matter what, in most cases, certainly at least the people who have a history of voting. Right. Um, and so that means that the electability of an individual candidate matters less than it has in the past to some extent. But I think it also matters a lot. I mean, we're engaged in a debate about what we want the future of the Democratic Party to look like. And Corey gives me shit for it. But like Trump's hostile takeover of the GOP left people like me homeless. And I would love to make the Democratic Party my lifelong party from now on. But the, whether or not that happens has to do with the ideological direction that the party takes. And right now we have three options. We have status quo. We have democratic socialism slash social democracy, depending on what, whether, you, whether you believe Sanders' own words or not. But it's clearly something distinct from the status quo. And then we have human capitalism. Those are our three options as a party right now. And that debate, that's going to make a difference in terms of how electable the person is because it does cut through partisanship because it's really getting to the heart of like the future of the ideas that this party stands for. You know, I, I mean, sorry, Seth, go ahead. I view the, the terms democratic socialism and human-centered capitalism as synonyms. They're the same thing just with a different slight lean, right? Like, because people on the left will say, oh, uh, Human-centered capitalism is an oxymoron because capitalism cannot be human-centered. 
And then if you look at socialism, like real socialism, what people want when they're talking about socialism, the Kyle Jurics of the world, uh, you can't have like a democracy and socialism at the same time. They're both like oxymorons, but the same thing. The, the real important thing is how are we able to like center this around the values that we all agree upon? And I think Sanders does the best when he's defending himself against attacks on socialism and saying, well, this is what people care about. It's beyond. I, I mean, so this is like, actually, I, I, I almost agree with you, Seth. Um, I wrote a branding. blog post yesterday. Is. I don't know if I don't know if Corey read it yet, but I think you'll I, like it. It. I, I wrote a blog post yesterday where I basically broke down the differences between capitalism, socialism, um, social liberalism or social democracy. Those are actual literal synonyms and human capitalism. Um, the thing is, human capitalism is a I called it social liberalism or social democracy 2.0. And so to the extent that Bernie Sanders is standing up for some kind of a social democratic platform and not an actual socialist platform, it's 100% accurate to say that Sanders and Yang both represent a platform that falls under the, the umbrella of social democracy. But so does every other Democrat running. Frankly, so does Donald Trump. I mean, Donald Trump promised not to cut social security. That is a social Did democratic you see policy. His budget? Yeah. Right. His budget. Uh huh. Yeah. yeah. You see his budget. I don't even want to get into it now, but like that was bullshit. But yeah, no, I think the, the, it, taking taking the social democracy versus human centered capitalism, I think um, it's like UBI versus freedom dividend. Um, one of them is is a much better term, right? It's, yeah, it's, it's better branding. The, the, the story that it's telling about what it is far, uh, uh, you know. Is, is just far superior to actually attach itself to the real world things that we need to actually be talking about, right? Yeah, it's like, better branding, but I want to make sure I also made what I think is an even more important point than the branding. Although the branding is huge, and you're completely right. Um, it's it's social liberalism 2.0 versus social liberalism 1.0. That's mm -hmm. the difference, yeah, right? No, I, I agree. Um, Bernie Sanders yeah. is running on, he's doubling and tripling down on the old-fashioned form of social democratic policy which has worked or not worked to some extent in some countries here and there. But in the 21st century, with automation coming down the pipeline, we need to upgrade to 2.0. But you're right. I mean, they are both. So I mean, literally everybody running in both parties right now are social Democrats. Amer Americans don't understand political science. We, we have a, a capitalist economy and we have a government with a social safety net, right? That is social democracy just like the rest of the first world. That's the reality. And we're so we're all social Democrats here. The debate is about what specific policy hacks do we think will work best? Yeah, I mean, I, I, that's the fight I want to have. But that's not what that's voters. Want, that's that's the fight I want the Democratic, <laughs> Democratic Party to be all about. And right? that's exactly that's, what voters avoid is policy well, discussion. They, you know, voters, voters will surprise you, I think. Like, because it, 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 you have to get these things to a tipping point, right? There are definitely a lot of voters that aren't taking this seriously. Um, if, if you were, you know, spending a lot of time doing this kind of analysis in 2015 and you brought up Medicare for all, you were having exactly the same conversation, right? There's like Medicare for all is clearly what you need to do, but all of these people are idiots and no one will get on board and why the hell mm -hmm. is this happening? And oh my God. Right. And cause it, it just, it takes time. Yeah. Right. So, well, it, and, it, and UBI is polling extremely well already in like yeah. a really short window. So, yep. you know, that's amazing. And, and that's, and it, th those numbers are only going to go up. It's like, yes. you know, however this plays out over the course of this year, um, you know, it, it, the Democratic Party in 2024 is going to have UBI as the center of its uh, thing, or, or the Republicans will steal it if they're smart.
So it seems like we're all in agreement that the, de the debate didn't make a huge difference. But if we had to name for the people who did watch it and who are on the fence, who do we think strengthened their position the most coming out of the debate? I hate it, uh, but uh, I think Klobuchar did. Oh, that's interesting. Why? Well, because clearly whatever she's doing is working. And she was trying to position herself as someone who was... <laughs> like the right choice for X and Y reason. And I don't understand why this is the case, but people seem to agree with her on that. And she didn't like, as long as she just maintained the course of where she already is, she's going to come out on top and, and really take advantage of the fact that Biden has not been performing. Well, Biden yeah. said one of the first things Biden said was Iowa was a, a hard hit, right? Terrible, terrible framing to put that like, and everyone was talking about that afterwards is like, that's the last thing that people that voters in South Carolina want to hear right now is him like admitting defeat in Iowa. Uh, and then Bernie and Pete are stuck in this total kind of, uh, you know, two for all. And then you've got Klobuchar who like outperformed in Iowa. Um, I can't point to a specific thing in the debate that she said that made me say this, but it's just the feeling that I had afterwards. Well, that I think a couple of things prove your point. I mean, the, the media has been looking for an excuse to back her anyway, and she had a, a, a very plausible, um, and she had some lines or whatever that, that, that I think were, were strong. But I think you're right. Like, it's basically just like, you know, do no harm and make the electability argument, which I think she did, you know, really well for people that that buy into that um but she raised three and a half million dollars within the 72 hours after the debate um and the media always was already looking for an excuse to talk about her as they have been you know uh, initially so they're just going to amplify that that message and that narrative so she's going to get a bump also like i don't think it's going to last what's really messed up is south carolina you know who picked up all the black vote in south carolina that biden lost steinberg well, no yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Bloomberg. Bloomberg is crushing, dude. Like, it. yeah, you can buy an election and that motherfucker. Just do it. So, Corey, you, so do you agree that it was Klobuchar then? Um, I mean, yeah, I think I think Klobuchar got the biggest bump. I think I think Steyer did the best, but I also like he's not really he's not really uh, uh, in sort of a place that is going to capture the attention of people that will amplify his message. Um. But yeah, I mean, I, I think I would have to agree that, uh, that that Klobuchar probably did the best. I mean, and again, I think you're right about Bernie too. Like he, you know, is used to getting attacked and got attacked a bunch. Um, Buttigieg did all right too. Like that's the thing. Like they're all pretty good. Um, and head to head, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, head to it's head, they all to beat Trump, one. which is another yeah, thing. Yeah, it's, I've been it's hard. It's hard to choose year. one. It's hard to choose one because I think they all did well. Um, I found I was not going. I was not actually considering Klobuchar one of my choices seth but you kind of persuaded me so now she belongs up there too i don't know i mean like i i guess like on balance i think bernie sanders got the game out the most <clears throat> because he came in second place in iowa and a really strong debate performance in that context is an extremely powerful thing i would i would i would have said pete because he was the front runner and he got attacked and he defended himself really well and the reason I'm not saying Pete is because I don't think there's anything that man can do that will change the way black voters look at him, at least not while we still have a wide field. Mm -hmm. I think that I think that he. Unless he gets a big chunk of the black vote in South Carolina, he is not going to be the nominee for sure. It doesn't yeah. matter. And, and we, you know, we keep forgetting that like Yang was pulling ahead of of Buttigieg in some national polls going into Iowa. He did well in a state 
that is extremely white and you can't win a democratic primary with black voters not liking you, right? And so I kind of feel like, I think that or under, under normal circumstances, if that weren't the case, I would say Pete was the winner because he was in the lead, he got attacked, he defended himself well. He did everything he could, right? It's by no fault of his own, but for some reason, he is not getting through to black people. And and I don't think there's anything he can do to fix that. I think his campaign yeah. is pretty much damned. Well, let's look at what he did. It. Go ahead. Go ahead, go ahead, Seth. Oh, no, no, Corey, you, you. you. <laughs> um, I was saying before Iowa that, um, if Pete did well in Iowa, that would be the last place that he did well. And I get like, if you cut, if he came in and got like a resounding win, that might have translated to a bump. Right. right? Yeah. All the people are like, Oh my God, they try to put their finger on the scale or whatever. Well, it didn't work. Right. Cause like if you tie, which is at best what you can say, right. Cause he got a couple more delegates, but Bernie Sanders got more votes. And I think that's a really, really arguable, like, yeah, okay. You might've, might've won, but who gives a shit. Right. Um, Bernie Sanders is probably going to win New Hampshire, uh, and I think the the rest of the field I think is going to be a, a lot more of a toss up. Uh, Elizabeth Warren has got a massive ground game in New Hampshire, so like that yeah. is, is a possible thing. Um, I think there's going to be people writing in Bloomberg, uh, even though he's not on the ballot, um, which is going to be completely and totally messed up. So we so we really don't know, but I think I think there's a really good possibility that Buttigieg will be done like or or be very visibly not doing as well in uh, in this and then you know how i don't i haven't looked at his polls in nevada but yes in south carolina he's not gonna place yeah right, right. He, he won't even be in the top three and so it'll be over like and completely over you look at what he said during the debates he was asked about an increase in incarcerations after he got into office and like he he turned around and was like well look at all the gang activity uh like he started talking about gangs after uh, the question was you know Black incarceration increased after you took office, and then he immediately like went to gangs. Like he does not have the ability to to actually position himself to take minority votes like that. And I think part of the reason I like him is because he's kind of like the log cabin Republicans used to be before Trump took over that party. <laughs> All right, no, I mean he he he's not. It's not even that he's wrong about that. It's just that that is a racially sensitive conversation, and he is not equipped to have that conversation he right. doesn't know how to he doesn't know how to explain that there's a difference between taking a hard stance on crime and being against black people mm-hmm. he can't explain that and it, i mean so, hillary right. clinton hillary clinton and joe biden have similar baggage and they are able to explain it in a way that reassures black people people just can't yeah. do it let's 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 like in an immediate this week kind of thing an example of, of exactly this bloomberg took half of Biden's support among African-Americans to South Carolina. Half. Stop and frisk was fucking Bloomberg's idea. Yeah. Right? Like, they, it doesn't get any more profiling than that. Like, basically ever. Right? You and know that, what, that Corey? Of, you that just made of baggage my, is incredible. Yeah, yeah, you just made my case for me. Because I've been saying all along, I don't think that people's dislike of, of Buttigieg is because of what they say it is. Mm. Um, because if it were his, you know, admittedly, like pretty rocky history dealing with race in in um in his uh town that would you know then then they wouldn't be going for biden they wouldn't be going for clinton they wouldn't be going for bloomberg it's because he is it's cultural stuff it's because he wears fancy suits and he went to harvard and he's a gay guy and he's young and he comes off as a bit of a snob he comes off like pretty unlikable to yeah. a certain demographic of people and not just black people. I don't think that working class Maybe. white people care for him very much either. Maybe. I, I was actually just, I was glomming onto your point that I think 
you can have, um, you know, if you've got a $20 million consulting firm running your messaging department, you can, you can basically argue your way around the narratives that will be operating as baggage. Now, granted, Bloomberg would not be able to do that if he was in the media and if he was, uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, on, on the debate stage, right? Which he's very pointedly ignoring because that's not where he controls the message. He's already spent a quarter billion dollars on just like doing ads literally everywhere where he gets to control the narrative. And the narrative is Trump was a complete and total nightmare. And African-Americans are like, I would rather not have a Nazi supporter in the White House. So freaking let's do Bloomberg. Why not? Right? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I agree. I'm not saying they're necessarily wrong to prefer Bloomberg over Buttigieg. I'm just saying, I don't think it's, you know, I, you, but I think, I think, I think the rest yeah, of that I, I think there's something about too. his packaging, which is reassuring to conservative democratic voters. And that is turning off other parts of the um, primary mm -hmm. electorate for the same yep. reason, you know? Yep. Um, I, I think it was a win for Yang that he was even in the debate. I think that that yeah. like the fact that he got back on the debate stage, it reestablished him as a serious candidate, which damn well should have. Because, again, if you're polling in fourth place in some national polls and you have seven people on stage, you should be one of them. But whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, that, that was good. Why, if it wasn't his mic being turned off, why did he stop talking so much in the second half of the debate? Because he was came on really strong. And then and then he was just like, well, sheepishly, if they don't call on me, I'm not going to talk. What was it? Well, I mean, during the first half of the debate, he really wasn't that active either. They they spent at least 20 minutes talking about foreign policy, and Yang was silent the entire time. I mean, he doesn't really have a lot of foreign policy discussion in the first place, but so much of the debates were candidates attacking each other. The thing that Steyer did well is that he butted in and he said, you're all talking about the same thing. Let's talk about why I'm the person who's going to be the one to beat Donald Trump. Yang had to take that spot, and he failed to yes. do so. Uh yeah. I agree because there's nothing else he can do. That's what I'm wondering. Like if it, if it, if it, <laughs> if it wasn't actual sabotage, what the yeah. heck? Honestly, like we've seen this movie before, mm -hmm. right? Yang is constitutionally unable to jump in like that. It, we've never seen it happen. Like I think it's happened once. I find and it so extremely frustrating because if he were in a two or even three person race, yeah. where the moderators really definitely needed to call on people more evenly because it would be blatantly obvious if they did it. Yep. Um, I think he would absolutely devastate the his opponents and win every single debate. But a debate with this many people up here where some people get called on more than others, I mean, it's just, it's so phony. It is so phony. Yeah. And I mean, like the times where he's actually called that out have landed really well. Right. Yeah. Like where, you know, it's all just a big, ridiculous show. Like they asked him about his lack of a tie for crying out loud. It's, it's just it's it's completely and totally uh, sort of performative. Um, and on, like it could very well just be that he's too genuine. Mm -hmm. OK, so I'm going to add a caveat. So I said for the people who watched the debate and who were undecided, I think Bernie Sanders came out with the most advantage over the debate. Um, but but. For the people who didn't watch the debate and just read about it or whatever, I think Yang actually won. Because I mean, I think he came out because of the fact that he was in it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think I, th I think we we said the debates don't really change people's minds. So the fact that he at least made the debate stage again might actually be more consequential than anything that anybody said in the debate. I think you're right because if, if he hadn't been, um, funding would go down. You know, viability would go down even among uh, you know Yang Gang that uh, that might be worried about that kind of thing or whatever. So I, I yeah. think you're probably right. Like okay. he's still there. He's still in it. Um, and I, you know, I think we're going to have a good night tonight.
The one thing that he didn't do well during the debate was uh, him speaking about, and like this is just something I disagree with Yang on. Uh, it was impeachment, uh, and he he has a good point when he talks about the fact that we shouldn't put, you know get into this cycle of putting past presidents in jail. But I think you know most of the country disagrees with Trump's acquittal, and he 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 was giving the wrong point when he answered that question, and a lot of people kind of some of the headlines tagged on him for that afterwards. Yep. I don't know. I just don't know why he went there. I mean, yeah. it's I, just maybe it's just because talking. he is such an honest, genuine person yeah. that he he isn't capable of triangulating. Right. I, yeah, he like I think he's he's used to being the guy that, you know, is allowing Trump supporters into his rallies and then greeting them as human beings. Yeah. Which is already way better than I would do. But at the same time, <laughs> like the the uh yeah, I mean, this is the one place where I disagree with him too. Uh, now, granted, I'm not a unifier. I don't play one on TV. I couldn't yeah. take it if I tried. And he freaking is, right? So, so you know, that, but again, you know, do that in the general. You're, it's a Democratic primary where 99.99999% of Democrats would literally love to see Trump in jail because so would the law. You know, I disagree with Yang on that too. Um, I think that, I think that he is 100% right. I'm sure you guys would agree that we have to be careful about, you know, going down the slippery slope into a banana Republic where you just throw your opponents in prison. Right. Right. That would clearly be yeah. very bad. Right. But that is going not, after Trump. that's yeah. not the same thing as if he were, if he had been um, convicted or now, if he doesn't get reelected, if he doesn't get reelected and some, you know, the federal government and or the, some state governments, go after him for various crimes um, before the statute of limitations expires. I think that's the main reason. I don't think he likes being president. I think the main reason he wants to get reelected is because he wants the statute of limitations to expire on his crimes. But anyway, so if, I, I if, if, right. if, if somebody, if like if a, an independent judiciary were to go after a former president for crimes that he committed while he was in office, I think that i don't think that would be a threat to the rule of law i think the idea that the president is above the law is a threat to the rule of law i mean former congress people go to jail for things that happened while they were in congress what's the difference right yeah Yeah. yang needs to stop saying that you're not even right about it dude stop yeah (laughs) right like we can accept that there's a slippery slope into the type of society he talks about but there's also a slippery slope into authoritarianism and that's exactly where we are right now if you're going to be worried about us going somewhere it's what's happening as we speak and that's what people want to hear right now they don't want to hear yang trying to defend a uh yeah he needs to stop talking about that honestly it's exactly the kind of thing obama would have said and obama was wrong when he did it yes yeah you know the whole the whole idea that he didn't go after freaking bush and dick cheney that also was an error they mm-hmm. lied us into a war that killed a million I mean, people. Let, well, let, let, I, I, I don't think that the, the, new, the next president should direct his attorney general to go after the former president. I don't right. think you should do that. I don't think the attorney general should be the president's lackey, period. I think they should be independent, yeah. right? I, I, so I, I any, agree with, I agree with Obama, I agree with thing, Obama and yeah. Yang about that, right? I definitely don't want yeah. the president. And like, if that were to happen, that would be an impeachable effect. Well, Trump Trump's already doing it, right? We're we're seeing the rebound it to is, that already. He's doing he's, it. He's and literally it's bad. using bar to yeah. go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, agree. Yeah, yeah, that's bad. No, I I just meant like if something that had nothing to do with the new president, right? Just like you know, he just went through the normal process of being tried for a crime that he you know might have committed and found guilty. You know that that's that's how the system's supposed to work. 
And I don't even think that any of the candidates answered that question as in, yes, I would uh, go ahead and imprison Trump. I think the, they were they would like pivot and they would say, Trump is doing incredibly wrong things. He needs to be held accountable for his actions, which is a different answer. There's a little bit more nuance there. That's, that's what Yang needs to try and say. Because, yeah, I agree. Independent action needs to be taken against wrongdoings like that. Yeah, he may have yeah. built himself. He may have kind of built himself into a corner, though, because he does rely on Trump voters, not just former Trump voters, but current. Like, basically, if it's not Yang, I'm going to vote for Trump people. He has to be careful about not alienating those people. But the truth, but like he's made it. What I would tell him is I hear you, um, but they're not really supporting you because you like Trump. They're supporting you because they like you. Yeah. And you need to win partisan Democrats. You're not going to do yeah. that saying, don't, you know, don't put Trump in jail. It's just not a yeah. popular thing to say. Yeah, that's that's exactly it. Like rule of law is a good idea, period. And end of answer. Yep, yep, I completely agree. Um, let me just see here. I, I had written some notes, and I've been kind of taking them off one by one. I thought it was interesting during foreign policy where they asked they asked Pete exactly what he would do uh, concerning the Soleimani attack, and Pete's answer was, you know, it depends on the circumstances. This is not an episode of 24. And I liked that response because I, I really just don't like any debate that really focuses a lot on foreign policy because it's unrealistic to expect the president to have so much leverage. You've got this entire cabinet uh, of people who are informing decisions. Like, it's disingenuous to imagine that the president has that much yeah. sway and well, to no, he shouldn't right mm -hmm. i mean the, right. So that, that's unfortunately we see what the, happens when they do yeah exactly we have a guy in the white house right now we see what happens if he if he lets his one his opinion is one american like overrule all of the experts in foreign policy that's mm -hmm. not good right and i agree i thought i thought buddha judge's answer was was the right answer. I mean, what else are you going to say? It depends on the circumstances, right? Yes. It's like it's like if you were asking him about chess, would you make would you would you take the queen with your rook? Well, where are the rest of the fucking pieces? It depends. <laughs> right. Right. And that's another moment where Steyer came in and he was like, look at our military budget. There's something deeper that's a problem here. It's the military industrial complex. And another moment where he shined was right there, I think. Buttigieg. Yeah. yeah. See Tom's uh, calculation. He said, "Would you would you trade 067 percent of the military budget for democracy dollars?" Wait, has Tom said this? Tom Tom from uh, Nerds for Young, not Star. Oh yeah. See, that's a really that's a really important part to harp on. Is like how much we are spending, what we can do. We're talking about the wrong things when we're talking about foreign policy here. That's what Tulsi's there for, but she wasn't there. Well. Yeah, sometimes. Well, I, I, I honestly, I think a much better description. Sorry, Rio. No, um, go we ahead. had uh, Rich. We had Rich Casado on the Moving Forward podcast, and he basically said you could uh, you could dramatically increase our readiness for modern day problems with cutting fifty percent of the military budget and and just doing smarter things. Yeah, just re take. It could be fifty percent of the budget that it is now, and actually keep us safer. Significantly, um, and a, as a as a as an unapologetic neocon hawk. I have to admit he's right. I'm fine with that as long as a smart person like Rich is in charge of what we cut and how we spend our money, right? Um, I don't want somebody going in and just willy-nilly cutting things with like blindly without any logic behind it. That wouldn't be good. 
that reflects yeah. directly the entire discussion of welfare. Like we can admit, hey, we've got a lot, like a very bloated, inefficient welfare system. We would do much better with something like a universal basic income uh, and, and cut down on the spending and help more people in the long run. I, I wish that could predominantly take over and I'm happy to see that more often. Yeah. yeah, I just I, I would love for Yang to come out and be extremely forceful on the fact that welfare isn't helping all the people that it says it's supposed to be helping and it isn't doing that efficiently anyway um, and, and isn't allowing for people to actually get off it. Like it, 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 Greg's a perfect example, right? Being on disability or whatever, you know, anytime he works, he goes in the hole. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Like it, it, like deeply disincentivized to get out of the situation that, uh, that he's in. And with freedom dividend, dividend, none of it would matter. Yeah, unfortunately, like that kind of nuance is only going to happen if he manages to make it to the top two or top three people in a debate. The last people, yeah. the last people standing, you know, if uh, the Yang gang needs any motivation to keep donating and keep phone banking and keep canvassing, it should be that, you know, he's Yang has always been playing the long game. Don't get discouraged. Just make sure that he stays just ahead of whatever the requirements are and stays on that stage until it's the last two or three. And then the debate will matter and he will kill it. Mm -hmm. He will kill it because he is actually good at making arguments based on logic and facts that are persuasive emotionally as well as rationally. Um, He's just not getting the chance to do it in on this, on this big stage. And I know that it's frustrating that he doesn't speak up more, but I mean, if he is playing the long game, that kind of makes sense. And of course, he's also hoping as a backup plan to be on the administration of whoever is the nominee. And you're not going to do that by trashing, you know, (laughs) don't use Bernie Sanders strategy of just trashing all the other candidates. Like, I don't want Yang to do that. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. Like, you know, if he's following the sort of first do no harm rule. Um, you know, I can, I could see that. I mean, I think that's a principle that he holds anyway, uh, but could absolutely serve him, uh, uh, the further, you know, the deeper we get into this primary for sure. Today's a big day. Today is a huge it is. day. It is. <laughs> My God. And, uh, what kind of taco? He's a taco. Something about tacos. It's taco Tuesday in New Hampshire is it right taco now. Tuesday? Oh yeah. Oh, uh, the, yeah, it is. the 11th, the, maybe the most consequential taco Tuesday that this country might ever see. I'm afraid that we might wind up with a burrito at the end of this. And Oh no, Andrew Yang can't lose Taco Tuesday. That's just not right. Yeah, no, that's not okay. <laughs> that's not okay. Thank you very much for listening to the Moving Forward podcast. Uh, we are so excited to be bringing this to you, and we're so excited about the uh, the awesome community, the Yang Gang that's growing up around the candidacy uh, of Andrew Yang. Uh, if you could please tag us on Twitter with the hashtag Moving Forward Pod, and uh, find and join the Moving Forward Podcast uh, group on Facebook. Thanks, and we'll see you next time. Breaking early results are in first ballots cast. New Hampshire, Amy Klobuchar, 29.6%. Yeah, look uh, at the number of votes, the actual number of human votes. Okay, yeah. I think that's it's 8, like 16, 20, it's yeah, 19. It's, yeah, the actual number of humans <laughs> wouldn't fit around a big table. But who is yeah, reporting that's, this? That's not a big it's, enough sample to be st- statistic, statistically significant.
a hundred times that wouldn't be six six zero, but like it's not. You I don't know. know. Like it's, it's yeah. It's well, like, actually, it's one percent. So technically, a hundred times that would be a hundred percent. No, it's this isn't this isn't at all one percent though. Like that's it's not it's not even. Oh, they no. reporting as one percent. I thought. If, yeah, if it was one percent, there would only be three thousand people voting in the primary. That's obviously not going to happen. It's like point zero 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 one percent. Guys, this is clearly indicative uh, right, of some low momentum. It's. it's <laughs> Yeah, it's one one little town in the middle of nowhere that votes at midnight. Which and so that's the thing. Like, why the even report you see that? Those, that is so fucking weird. Everyone is so hungry for 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 numbers uh, and news that they'll report. This anything. is why we don't cover the horse race because it's dumb. Everybody in their left nut record covers the horse race, and it's not interesting. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's clobentum, actually, guys. I'm gonna I'm gonna disagree with you here, and this yeah. is clearly Amy's time to shine. <laughs> All right. Uh huh. That, that I mean, I, Seth. I hope you were recording this for outtakes because that's funny. Oh yeah, it, it's all here. It'll all okay. be on YouTube for you guys to pick. Excellent. Good.